Hello and welcome to The Canon, the show where every single week we argue about whether or not a movie belongs in the canon of the greats to live on in immortality. I am Devin Faraci of BadassDigest.com and I am joined as always by Amy Nicholson of the LA Weekly. Uh, today we have a guest, but before we get to the exciting guest business, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, last week, you and I both agreed that there's something about Mary belongs in the canon, and as always, we left it up to the whim of the audience to make the final decision. Uh, which way did the whim blow? Oh, finally, we have a comedy in the canon. I can't believe it took this long. I'm very happy, and I want to make more comedies in the canon a priority. All right. Well, you know what? The people have spoken, uh, as they always do. Uh, and uh, this week, they're going to have something really cool to speak about. We're going to be finally tackling James Bond in the canon. Uh, I, I haven't really made up my mind yet. Is this going to be the only Bond that we're going to do? Uh, like, is this going to be the Bond that stands in for all the Bonds? Uh, or perhaps down the road, are we going to like maybe like modulate it and allow different era Bonds in? Uh, yeah, I'm very clear close to making this a tough one and saying, let's just only do one Bond. And this is the Bond. This is the Bond. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Our guest this week is Mr. Matt Gourley uh, of, uh, of, of of Super Ego, and, and also I Was There Too, uh, which is like the coolest podcast idea ever. Uh, and I have to say uh, off the bat before uh, anything else, uh, I'm sitting here at the table because of Matt Gourley, because it was his idea to come talk to me about doing a show uh, with Wolf Pop. You were my one show that I brought into Wolf Pop. <laughs> and I'm super happy because I just goddamn love your show. Well, both thank of you. you. So much. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you have like the number one show on the network. <laughs> I you guess that show. still doesn't, somehow doesn't seem right. Especially since I work for the network, it's got to be payola. Like someone's <laughs> fudging some numbers or something. The, the idea for your podcast is so great. It just makes me want to murder you and pretend it was my idea. It, it wasn't my idea. So I am scott free. It's Jeff Ulrich's idea, who used to, of course, run Earwolf. Uh, and he. The minute I heard it, I'm like, that's amazing. And he, he gave it to me. He wanted me to do it. But I can't take credit for that. And I think the idea is the star of that show. You know, that's that's what gets the numbers because it's so simple and elegant, you know. I mean, it's interesting. Do you think – do you notice sort of are there certain movies that do really well or certain guests that do really well? Or is it just like week to week people just like hearing these sort of side tales uh, in general? A little of both. I found as I've started doing it that now it's not, it's not the movie I'm after and it's not the um, – how should I put this? It's not the the scene. It's what the person did. So, like, I find that like the woman with the baby carriage in the Untouchables is such a memorable little thing. It's more about memorable little parts. The woman that played the demon face and. Um, the latest episode of my podcast has Vasquez from Aliens, and she was such an iconic role for me. She's one of my favorite parts that I've ever seen. And on top of that, she couldn't have been nicer. So I was just very nervous in the. Was interview. there a lot of bra talk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the end, we talked about her bra store. She has two now and opening a third. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the, the lady from Total Recall should be opening the third bra, <laughs> bra store. I've thought about trying to get her. <laughs> and I actually read an interview with her, and she doesn't seem to be too excited about that part of her life. So I never want to bother people. And I'm always afraid, too, if you ask someone to do this, that there's a like element of insult. Like, hey, you were a small part. Would you like to celebrate that or something? And <laughs> some people have no problem with it, but I've found some people are a little touchy about it. Wait, has it ever happened where you have an idea for somebody you would love to have on and you look it up and they're dead? Yeah, plenty of Star Wars people because Star Wars is like I, I've wanted – the right person. I don't. I mean, I think there's been a handful of people now at this point that I could have gotten, but they're. I guess I'm just sort of, you know, waiting for the one, waiting for the wedding night. You know what I mean? That's really romantic, isn't it? This is your second Aliens episode. Yeah. Well, we're we're doing it as like a James Cameron super episode. So she talks about aliens 
uh, Terminator 2 and Titanic. She and I... Uh, <laughs> She and I worked together, really? technically. Uh, she did a voice in a video game that I did a voice in, and we were recording at the same time. Uh, and it's a video game called Firefighter for the Wii. And it's a game where you like are a firefighter and you just use your Wii Wiimote to, as, a, as a fake hose to put out fires. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I'm only now learning you were the voice in a video game? <clears throat> yeah, yeah it, was my, it was my brother's friend's company that did it, and they brought me in like as a gag. And what they did is, in case it wasn't dumb enough to have me do this, they decided to have me play a number of characters, including an old Chinese man. So I got to do racist Chinese Can we hear a little yeah, of that? Please. And it was like, help me! I am Dratia! Help me! It was very... <laughs> that could have been a lot worse. That's the worst it's, Chinese accent I've ever it is, heard. That it was just help in terms of it doesn't sound Chinese at all. There's <laughs> fire! There's fire everywhere! Uh, and there is... Uh, and that's in the game. So if you play this game, there is me doing this horrific... It is like my breakfast at Tiffany's moment, basically, <laughs> is what it is. Um, so, but Matt, we brought you here for like a specific reason because I first met you when I was doing a YouTube show and I needed an expert on James Bond. That's right. And we brought you in and we got you so drunk that you passed out in a park, I believe, is what happened afterwards. It's true. I had From that, I had to go to a family birthday celebration in the park and my girlfriend had to drive me and I basically passed out on a blanket. <laughs> I don't know why I get wrapped up in these drunk sort of pop culture things where I have to be drunk and tell people things. It's, it's just, uh, I got to move past that. <laughs> era of my life. Uh, but so you are the, the James Bond expert in my life, and so we have turned to you for a James Bond, and uh, what James Bond movie are you nominating for the canon? I'm nominating Casino Royale, and when I heard you guys say that maybe you're just going to have one Bond that stands in for the canon, that makes me both very nervous, because I understand this is not a classic, iconic Bond, but it also makes me feel like this is what I was born to do is to defend this as the best Bond movie just take this one right to the fucking end yeah I know that may be a surprise to some people but I think it's the best Bond movie it is a surprise because this is not the fan favorite no. I was thinking you were going to go with Dr. No or Goldfinger no I uh, I like those and respect those and I, I I think it's also much of it is due to Daniel Craig who I think is now the best Bond and I understand that that is even blasphemous for some people but I think that's just a reflexive response if you stop and really think about it it's like the day you figure out George Harrison's the best Beatle you know <laughs> it, you're just raised thinking this is the way it has to be but if you stop and look at it this guy can act and they wrote him a character as opposed to just you know some kind of cipher or something I don't know well you know let's take it from the top because uh, you're, you're a Bond guy when did you get into Bond what is it about Bond that, that speaks to you the first part of that is easy to answer the second part I don't really know uh, <laughs> as a young boy my dad and I would watch Bond on ABC and rent the VHS's he took me to see him in the theater my first one in the theater was Octopussy and uh, I, I just had this this great relationship with my dad my parents were divorced and so I would see him on the weekends and he'd pick me up and we'd go straight to the video store and get you know the Star Wars movie or some kind of action movie and uh, bring him home when we get like three or four for the weekend and I just I like I remember the time we got on Her Majesty's Secret Service and I didn't realize there was this other Bond at that point and I just put it in and I watched it for about an hour going where's James Bond <laughs> <laughs> had no idea. So I learned, you know, I learned by trial by fire. Um, and why I like it, I don't know. I'm certainly not one of those people that like dresses like Bond or buys Bond's watches or anything like that. I don't want to be Bond. I don't fool myself into that category. But there's something so English about it and so ridiculous. I, I love it because the movies get so bad and so good. And those are my favorites on the full side of the spectrum. The middle of the road ones, you can kind of take or leave for me. Are you like an Ian Fleming guy? Do you read all the I've books? I've read them all, yeah. I, I, I can't say I 
a fan of the man, uh, I like the books in the same way that I'm curious about some of the Bond movies. Like, there's so much sexism and, and racism. In yeah, I was gonna say, is it the casual racism or the horrific classism that really uh, does it for you? <laughs> and don't the forget Bond the horrible sexism. The horrible sexism. The novels are ridiculous. Yeah. Ridic- yeah. Especially, I mean, Casino Royale has some crazy bits in the novel. Yeah. Yeah, and the second book, um, Live and Let Die, is much worse. It's because it, the bad guys are all black, so you can imagine how he handles those people. <laughs> with, with dignity? With, with dignity and yeah. respect, right? Yeah, not quite. <laughs> uh, I love them for that reason. That Love them is a weird word, but they're oddities, and, and they're just like reading something where the, you know you couldn't write it today, obviously. And so it's kind of like the same thing. Like I like to watch religious television late at night and go, how does this happen? How does this pass muster? You know? I, 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 the psychology of it. All is, is fascinating to me. Does, does that make it harder to adapt a Bond in the modern era than it did back in the sixties? It has to be because, and I think that's part of why I love Casino Royale, the movie. They took the best bits. In fact, the book itself is really only the last half of that movie. The first half has nothing to do with the book, and it's not like they discarded stuff from the book. They just didn't start the book until halfway through the movie when he goes to play the poker game. That's where it starts. In fact, he's at the poker game in the beginning of the novel. So they put on all this other action and stuff. Yeah, I don't. I I had the sneaking suspicion that. I'm not so sure anymore, but this new Spectre movie that they're doing, I thought maybe it was a reboot of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It takes place in the Alps. You've got Blofeld. Right. But I'm not so sure about that anymore. The, you know what? So the Spectre movie, I mean, I don't want to do like crazy spoilers, but uh, – I don't know anything, by the way. I'm the, keeping spoiler free. Okay, but I won't even – there's stuff about the Spectre movie that makes me very concerned in terms of how they're approaching it and how they're approaching Blofeld. Really? That I just am like, is that how you want to do it? Is but, because you know something? Yeah. Oh, Oh, the look in your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's there's elements to it that are really cool, and there's bits of it that you're like, oh, this is really great. This is like Skyfall. This feels like kind of more of the pop James Bond stuff. Um, but there's also stuff they're doing that I think takes some of the worst from modern blockbusters. And I'm just like, why are you oh, doing no, that's what this? My problem with Skyfall too. That yeah, oh, that's too bad. Well, so I gotta go. More of the same. Good. Just, oh, it was nice seeing you, Matt. Yeah. Thank you very much. Anyway, Casino. Now, now that I've crushed, for it, uh, <laughs> now I've crushed your dreams. Uh, well, you know, so Casino Royale was enormously uh, uh, controversial with Bond nerds uh, because I, you know, I, you get it, Daniel Craig's blonde. Yeah. Uh, which is like really upsetting. I like how we're getting back on this blonde thing again. Yeah, Amy's really into blondes. She's uh, got a blonde thing going on. I'm really into representing blondes well on screen. Well, you can't do better than this, right? I mean... <laughs> no, you really can't. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, when I re-rented uh, Casino Royale at the library... To rewatch it again. Oh. I brought it up to the checkout lady, um, and the checkout lady, this older woman, was just, like, out of nowhere. She never talks to me anytime in the library. She just goes, you know, my friends don't think Daniel Craig is hot, but I wouldn't kick him out of bed. And then she went on this whole thing about how sexy he was. And we bonded for the first time ever. <laughs> I find him incredibly sexy. Those eyes. <laughs> he's got amazing eyes. Oh, he's, he's an incredible actor. I remember seeing Munich in the theater, and having the awareness that he was the next Bond and I saw that movie and I went done it's right. he's amazing and I wasn't like Brosnan's my least favorite Bond so I, I didn't think I could do but it even more than Dalton yeah wow yeah quite why, a bit why Brosnan Brosnan lower than Dalton because I was just thinking about that today I, I, Brosnan is the most like have a mix between Roger Moore and Connery. He just doesn't feel original, and his he acts so over the top when he gets hurt, and his he does that Tom Cruise jaw acting. And then I, I was thinking about how Daniel Craig really is an actor, and the rest are just kind of playing characters. Part of it is the writing in Brosnan's era is he's not getting real character right. development. 
But I thought Dalton at least was trying to do something, make it a real person. Craig There's and Dalton. darkness to Dalton that yeah, I like. Yeah, yeah. He's not my favorite, but I, I, I respect, I guess, what he was trying to do. But for some reason, I love – Brosnan as a man seems like the most amazing man. His Bond just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, I feel like his Bond era – did get a little bit screwed. Like, people started to not understand what Bond was about. Yeah. They got, I think they got too much into the women and the gadgetry and the it, luxury yeah. about it. It I had just, to fight with itself, too, because now other action movies were doing it better than Bond right. was. So I just want to live in the universe where we got that Jinx spinoff that they were planning. I thought about that. Can you imagine? <laughs> that became Catwoman, I'm sure. You know. Uh. Uh, let's talk about Casino Royale specifically. So, you know, Casino Royale is really interesting because it comes at a point where we're in the middle of this reboot culture yeah and bond which had never had the strongest continuity uh <laughs> there was sort of bits there was lazenby going to the to the um you know to the grave uh there was the, the this never happened to the other fellow yeah uh but it was not a strong continuity it was just sort of this thing they made a decision to reboot it take it back to square one none of this other stuff that ever happened um like as a as a bond fan how did you feel because i you know they rebooted my franchise both of my franchises both planet of the apes and star trek got rebooted Right. So I know what that feels like. So I'm curious, as a Bond fan, having all the rest of that stuff just sort of partitioned off and written away. Did did did, did you feel anything about that? Really quickly, did that bother you? Did do you think either of those two did it right that you felt okay with? Star it? Trek sort of bothered me because they did it half-assed. Yeah. Because they had this thing where Spock goes back in time, so yeah. they go, oh, all this stuff Have also happened, but too. also this. And I'm like, just start over, man. Yeah. Like I like that in the Planet of the Apes reboot because it's just you know we're just starting over, and I'm like, good. Just do that. Yeah. Like, just just take it, clean slate, move on. Uh, the idea that this Star Trek stuff all did happen, but now didn't happen as a as a dweeb, this is deeply, <laughs> this is troubling to me. Like, I try to like make this stuff work in my brain, and it really bothers me. It's stuff like Chekhov shows up on the ship, and I know that everything is the same as the old universe. So Chekhov is too young to be on the ship uh-huh. in the first movie, and that oh, bugs yeah. the shit out of me. Yeah. So you know. But I have, you know, I have mental nerd issues. So. I promise to answer this, but I can't help but notice you guys are on such good behavior right now. Is that because I'm in the room? Why aren't you guys at each other's throats? I'm used to this. I don't think there's anything to argue about here yet. Okay. Yet. All right, good. Okay. Yeah, I, think I just right want now, to make sure I see some of that live. I think we're just right now sort of like getting the lay of the land, and then and then she'll say something wrong. <laughs> and then we'll get into it, I think is how that'll go. Uh, well, I want to know this then. But he has a, he has a, he has a question oh, to here answer. Here we go. Here oh. we go. With, oh yes, go ahead. The, Jesus. The, the sheer fact of asking brought it to me. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, I I had no problem with it because I God I thought it was time. Um, I wasn't thinking like oh Batman did it well, but then I thought well they did you know for the most part prove that it could be done in some way, and uh, I knew that they were going back to the best book, and they got a really good actor, and it sounded like. Paul Haggis was going to do some interesting work. So I was thrilled. And when I saw the first trailer, I was in. And I remember this era of Craig, not Bond. Craig is yeah, not Craig Bond. Yeah, Craig, not Bond. Yeah, dot com. And, yeah. yeah. And the, I knew that those were a bunch of Brosnan acolytes. So I was prepared to hate them in the first place. <laughs> and from day one, I was in for Craig. And I, I feel like it's one of the badges of honor I carry in my life that I'm not afraid to brag about that. I was in for Daniel Craig from day one. Everybody else kind of came in after the movie and, you know, after he proved he could do it. So uh, Second wave Craigers? Yeah, total second wave. Hangers on. Oh, God. I should have had a T-shirt made. Um, 
yeah, so I was I was thrilled. It was time in my mind. So now, Amy, you all, had a question now. Now that I'm done with my question, you can go. Is it all weird to you though that they kept Judy Dench around? The, yeah, the the timeline stuff. The, it isn't weird to me. I understand it's a mess for some people. We do this James Bonding podcast, right? Matt Myra and I, and. W- so many emails of people trying to justify how all of the movies can still work together and how the code 007 is a code name. Yeah. It's like, no. It, even Skyfall the, disproves fully. Yes. The, the grave. Yeah. Absolutely. Fully disproves. And yeah. I, we get emails at my site, too, all the time about that, too, where it's like, well, don't you think that MI6 that MI could have possibly had a false grave created to give I, this character back? I'm like, that sounds like a lot of pointless work for a guy who just runs around telling everybody who he is all the fucking time. And I don't understand the energy output needed to do something like that when the filmmakers clearly don't intend it. Right. So I guess that's what it is, where the director and the producers are like, no, this is we're starting <laughs> over. Even if we haven't done it that well, you have that information, so. <laughs> you don't don't go looking. It's, there's no Watergate there, you know. <laughs> uh, so this movie begins. I think what's really interesting about it is that it begins uh, in this super serious black and white bit, yeah. uh, and it's sort of like the movie announces, like, "Hey, we're going to get real serious oh, right yeah. now." Yeah, and it's got all the crazy tilted angles. Yeah. It's all of a sudden a strange European art film for about three minutes. Yeah, yeah. and 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 we see James Bond's first kill. Um, I mean, is that? I'm almost feel like that's too much. Like he really never killed anybody before. I feel mm. like how did he get this far without killing anybody? Like in practice rounds? No, but just like he's like probably an SAS guy, right? He probably right. like was doing some kind of black ops work previously. He probably was at this point had been like in Iraq or something like that. Yeah, because like, Daniel Craig is not young, even at the start of this. Yeah, yeah, so already this movie is a piece of shit because clearly oh, James Bond must oh. have killed somebody else, right? <laughs> I mean, like, isn't that isn't that maybe he killed people with drones and this is the first time he killed someone hand to hand? But in a way, aren't you doing what those Bond theory people are doing? They're telling you <laughs> this is his first kill for Fair whatever enough. reason. That's his first kill. So he's just a late bloomer, yeah, because, to the murder business. Yeah. Do you just not believe the blonde men? You know. <laughs> don't kill that often. Do I just think that these kinds anybody? of thuggish men, because uh, he's he's very. Th- that was one of the complaints. He's very thuggish. Oh, that's what I love about it. You know, I love that he was Steve McQueen handsome and not a pretty boy. Right. You know, he's rough edges. And and Fleming's Bond was as well. He wasn't a pretty boy. He always said he looked more like Hoagie Carmichael, who's just kind of a. <laughs> Just a, a hump, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same thing um, like with Jack Reacher. Because the closest thing I can have your, to your Bond fandom with the books is my Jack Reacher right, I fandom. I just watched that movie. I want That's interesting. So the oh, books, really? how do they stack to the... Uh, they're very different. You know, in the books, the Jack Reacher that they describe to me in my head looks like Michael Shannon. You know, oh, wow. attractive-ish to women, but without being attractive really in the slightest. Yeah. And kind of scary. The kind of guy who, if, if he's in a dark... Alley, he has to say, "Hey, I'm not going to hurt you," you know, as he uh-huh. walks up to you because he looks dangerous. And then you cast Tom Cruise, who I do adore up to pieces as an, I, as an actor. And I, think I remember his... from the um, Jerry Maguire episode. Exactly. <laughs> and I think he does as good as he can with the role, but it's you know fundamental miscasting. Yeah. And so to me, that that I was listening to Devin talk about his nerdery for Star Trek and trying to think, is there anything I have that relates to that at all? And really, that's kind of the only thing I have is my Jack Reacher fandom. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's like this this debate about Idris Elba being Bond and can there be a black Bond? Absolutely there can because what you, you haven't held true to anything at any given point. Like everything's been abandoned at right. some point in these movies. And, A, it's 2015. That's true. I just worry that Idris Elba's going to be too old by the time yeah, he gets a shot. Yeah, he won't for that reason, I think. Because Craig's still got another one and an option for a second, I think. So that'll be the reason yeah and Andrew Selba's already what 42 yeah ageism not racism it's uh, it's gonna be Dan Stevens 
Who's that? Oh, I love Dan Stevens. So Dan much. Stevens, who was on Downton Abbey, but who oh. uh, he was Matthew. Oh, the, the oh yeah, heir. yeah. And then oh. he was in the guest. Did you see the guest? Yeah, I did. <gasps> yeah, I didn't recognize him for the first half of the movie until I was like, wait, that's Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah. The guest is one of my favorite movies of last year, and just it. it I could see the tone of the guest meshing really well with the James Bond film because they get that this guy is a handsome, dangerous. Absolutely attractive to women hunk. You uh-huh. know, there's the scene in The Guest. Have you seen The Guest? Yeah. Uh, where he opens up that the bathroom door and the mist comes out all oh, over him. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of like sexual, women positive <laughs> camera stuff I love to see in films. And that I think would work with a Bond film. Yeah. Boy, well, he, they have that in Casino Royale with uh, the with uh, Bond doing the Ursula Andress yeah, uh, come out yeah. of the sea yes, moment. Yes. And uh, the Halle Berry sea moment. I think know, he does it better than Holly. Who, who strutted out of the sea better? Uh, you know what the thing is? I you know I felt that was a moment where I really saw myself on screen. I really understood finally. Yeah. Somebody somebody sh- had my struggle <laughs> of what it's like to be at the beach when you look like this. I I, I appreciated it uh, finally. Finally. Are you upset when you're objectified? Am I upset when I'm objectified? Uh, no, I'm upset when I'm objectivisted, but not when I'm objectified. So that was my Ayn, my Ayn Rand joke. Uh, this is this is this is this is why our live show is going to be a disaster. By the way, when are you doing a live show? The seventeenth. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. Where are you doing it? Uh, UCB. Sunset. Oh my god. St. Patrick's Day. Uh, what's do you know the movie? Kumail um, is picking it out. Who? Kumail. Oh, Milan Gianni nice. is our guest. Oh, and he's going to pick it out. So oh, that's great. I think that it'll have been done when this airs. Nice. We're talking about like a thing in the future that will be in the past when this airs. Yeah. It's but kind of like the Star Trek timeline. It is sort of like that. Um, so you know, he opens. Uh, that opening is so is so great though because it's so funny revisiting this movie and I had not seen it in a bunch of years and I remember covering the controversy at the time and what they did or didn't get right about Bond and. That opening, even though it's black and white and even though it's really serious and that first kill is super fucking brutal, um, you know, when he turns and he shoots the camera and then, you know, it's the Bond barrel and it, that all felt totally right to me. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 watching this movie again, I was like, this feels like a Bond movie to me. And I, I remember at the time that was a big source of controversy, but it, now I watch it and it feels like a Bond movie. They pulled it off somehow. And, the, and yet they made it seem, I don't know, believable in some way. I remember there are two moments when I was watching it the first time where I went, this, this is big for me. So he's in that black and white section in Prague and, and the head of section opens the gun and he, uh, he fires the gun and it's got no ammo in it. And Daniel Craig just says, I know where you keep your gun. And normally that would be a one-liner, like you keep your gun in your drawers or whatever, you know. And he just says, I know where you keep your gun. It's just a way of, of Bond just to be like, I got you, motherfucker. You know? <laughs> but it's not a quip. And then the second part is when he's on top of the crane with the parkour runner and that guy throws the gun and he just catches it and throws it back like a blunt instrument. And I I remember literally at that moment sitting in the theater and almost weeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. You can't even imagine Roger Moore. I mean, physically, you can't imagine Roger Moore than actually was. But you also no. just can't imagine it sort of like conceptually because no. his bond is the guy who's never ruffled. And this is much more of a John McClane bond. Yeah. This, is a, this is a bond who's getting hurt. Every time – I love that sequence. I love watching the parkour guy do these jumps and bond do the jumps but just a little bit worse than he does yeah. and landing just a little bit harder every single oh, time. Yeah, and, yeah, and doing it walls. just a little bit smarter. Yeah, busting yeah. through walls, taking shortcuts, being like, I'm just going to use the elevator for this one. <laughs> yeah, it's like playing that video game Gauntlet. Do you choose the elf or the, you know, the warrior, right? <laughs> you know, and that was like, oh, watching that. Yeah, I love that because what I like about Casino Royale is that it's a palate cleanser to me from all of the gadgetry yeah. of the Pierce Brosnan Bonds and that it opens with him, A, killing somebody with his bare hands basically in the bathroom and then just doing a, a chase that's only physical. 
And I love the way that this is shot because I have this huge thing against the Bourne movies. They drive me absolutely insane because I can't stand shaky camera on foot chase sequences. Same here. They're the worst. And the camera work that Martin Campbell has in Casino Royale is just impeccable. You really get to appreciate the choreography. That's so so unfair. Because here's the thing. You're you're right that the the camera work in this is amazing and the action scenes are incredible. But the Bourne movies are going something very different. I think that what they're trying to get across is something very different. It's really unfair – just as, just as it's unfair for everybody to have been comparing this to Bourne in the first place, it's unfair to say. I mean, what what, what Greengrass is doing com- with comparing them to Bourne. I mean, I get why you can't because this is the post-Bourne Bond. But at the same time, what Bourne was doing was much more visceral than any Bond movie ever is going to be. Yeah, I but it doesn't work, work you, as well. <laughs> That's because the the, they Bond producers are notorious for taking what's hot at the time and making it their own. Like parkour, for instance. Let's how can we use that? And I'm sure that they they recognized the success of the Bond and did it. But but I think they did the right thing and they made it clean and clear and. You could tell what's going on. I watched John Wick the other night. I couldn't believe how long they lingered on a single fight shot. And it was so refreshing to me to watch just, you know, 20-second shots in the middle of a frenetic fight. That is a great movie. I was I was blown away. I heard that people hated it or That's loved it. That's okay. I it is really a like great <laughs> I, I really wanted to like that movie, but no. It is so good and it's it's directed by second unit stunt guys. So uh, that that's, they get sense. it. They know how to shoot it. They know how to do it and they work with Keanu Reeves to l- let him be able to do the action That the also scenes. makes sense that they want to see it rather than right. edit it. They don't want to yeah. hide it. They don't, yeah. they don't want to give you the impression of it. That's why Bourne was really amazing when it first came. When, when, when the first Greengrass Bourne happened, it was amazing because the, that, that camera work made you feel like you were in the fight which was fresh at the time as opposed to cheap editing that like you know was over Joel Schumacher Batman editing right but this was like this was like the cameras everywhere and it's kind of interesting I get why it's too much I was in a theater for the Bourne Ultimatum where somebody threw up because of the shaky yeah. cam, I get it. I, I get motion sick. <laughs> but I, but you know, but John Wick is incredible. Yeah, uh, John Wick is too dour, and and I think I think that the Bourne movies just feel like a waste. I mean, you have a physical talent like, like the one you have here, like Sebastian Foucault who plays Malaka, the guy who is the parkour runner in this. If you have somebody who can do those things, I just want to sit back and let them yeah. watch it. Yeah, and I think when you chop everything up like you do in the Bourne movies. Oh, it just drives me nuts. Also, what I hate about the Bourne movies, I don't even know if I can explain this properly very well, but I hate that Bourne is so smart, and yet he always wears the same outfit all the time, because when you look at like the people following him on the close ca- on the, on the cameras, all they do is scan crowds for a guy wearing all black every Did single time. Did you go to the Muse- Hollywood Museum, the costume exhibit at LACMA? They have a whole bit about Bourne's outfit and why it's specifically designed to be as neutral as possible so he'll mix into crowds. No, you but should he do always research into these movies. He always pops out because of crowds. Because he's fighting people. No, he's like walking through a crowd and he's the only guy in a black outfit. He Guys, I think this is a valid it. debate, but you're encroaching on James Bond. <laughs> that just can't happen. Can't happen. Sorry. Well, James Sorry. Bond is a superior this is, Jason This is better Bourne. than our, this is is better than our Fifty Shades of yeah. Grey uh, uh, d- divergence the other, uh, the other week. We, we did a whole 15 minutes on Fifty Shades of Grey. So this is okay. We're, we're doing much better this time. But they, these movies minded. clearly take from other movies, and they're notorious for them, like the Kung Fu and Man with the Golden Gun. But what I will say is, like, I watched uh, the Dark Knight Rises, and there's so much pulled from Bond, and obviously Inception too from Honor Well, Nolan is service. in love yes. with Bond, yeah. and and God, people, I don't want Nolan to ever get to do a Bond. Huh? Oh, I don't want no, no one to yeah, ever do a bond. He'll, he'll never ruin it. They'll never, they'll never give it to him. You don't think Good. so? They'll, the same reason they never give it to Tarantino. They'll never allow somebody who wants control to make a bond movie. But I think his type of control would fit in the realm of what they want to do. I could see where they'd be afraid of Tarantino and 
Spielberg at one point wanted Spielberg to do it. Spielberg wanted to do it, yeah. But I, I think that uh, they everybody accuses Skyfall from pulling from Batman, which it did, but Batman so pulled from James Bond right. that you can't even blame him. I don't know if I had a final point to that. <laughs> the point is that these movies exist in a, a ever-shifting universe where they are all influencing each other. And what, that's one of the things I like about, about uh, Casino Royale is that it is a reaction to the modern uh, shift in action films. As the, the final Brosnan movies really felt like these like – the remnants from the 90s they felt like bloated and over the top they felt like these shitty Schwarzenegger movies we were getting yeah, a lot where it was yeah. just these CGI set pieces or these gigantic set pieces that mm-hmm. had no weight and no feeling to them they felt insulting in that they have Denise Richards as like a nuclear scientist yeah uh, but she's Christmas Christmas Jones I thought yeah. Christmas only came once a year oh. that is the best Bond line come on it's, no? it's if by best you mean absolutely <laughs> hands down bar none the worst and I can see where you could say best because I enjoy it for that reason too but it it is the worst line of Bond ever written and that includes the lyrics from Man with a Golden Gun he comes whenever he kills who will he bang we shall see Wow, that is the vision of James Bond as a psychopath. That is kind of amazing. Uh, let's take a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll discuss more about Bond ladies, including a Stephanie Broadchest uh, <laughs> in Casino Royale. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, so, you know, Christmas Jones was a terrible uh, character, but I think that Casino Royale has some pretty strong uh, female character. I think that uh, Vesper is Really amazing. She's the She's best Bond girl for my money. And it's amazing how long the movie goes before she even shows up. Yeah, because like, that's she comes in where the mo- where the book starts basically. I love. I mean, like Eva Green. How do you not love her? But I love the. There's that playfulness, and we talked about it before the break the idea of he you know has that fake name for her, Stephanie Broadchest, which is a, a really great wink to the stupidity of some of the stuff that's gone in the series. They do a the lot series. of that in this movie that's incredible. They do it in a way that's so elegant like that. Uh, it's uh, The guy asks, uh, do you want this martini shaken or stirred? Do I look like I, I care? Like, damn. <laughs> oh, give a damn. Is that what it yeah. is? Okay. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, or so like good. when he announces that she's Stephanie Broadchest, she just flatly goes, I am not. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and she is so great because... Every time they make a new James Bond movie, there's always the press thing where the female lead says, I'm not your standard Bond girl. It happened this last time. It just happened. It's always what happens. Every single time. This is one of the few times where I feel like, oh, 100%. And to my knowledge, I don't know that she even said that. (laughs) I think Evergreen wouldn't even mind playing the standard Bond girl. I mean, she's really created this thing. And I feel like I first noticed it here in Casino Royale where she can show up and be a sex pot and still just totally dominate a movie every single time. I mean, she rescues things. Nonstop. She rescues the sequel to 300. She rescued what was the crazy one where she plays the sex butt? Not Sin City. Sin City 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, she's amazing. Like, I think a lot of times they uh, write sexy female characters for the screen who are just sexy and the sexy is their superpower. And she somehow can take that and still turn it into like a power she uses and isn't just something she has. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's kind of a fun thing that she does in this movie where Vesper is not sexy. And gets into character as a sexy person and kind of sort of enjoys it in the moment. And that, but that isn't the defining characteristic of her. She is not a vixen. She is a, a, a she's an accountant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, 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 is, is she an accountant she's, in the book? Yeah, she works for the Department of the Treasury. So she's handling the money. But the thing that's important about her, too, and other than Diana Rigg, who plays Tracy Bond, she's, I think, one of two Bond girls ever to change Bond, like to affect his trajectory. Otherwise, he's disposing of them. But she, even more so than Tracy Bond, because 
he falls in love with Tracy Bond and he marries her. But he falls in love with Vesper and is betrayed and she catalyzes him to become the Bond that we all know as a sexist, misogynist man who's too hurt to treat women well. And so she forms him. Like, she's really his origin story and she has more to do with his character than... Her and M. The women, ironically, in this movie right. have more to do with shaping what was otherwise the most sexist character probably in film history, like with, with that much of a life, you know? Wait, is that a compliment to women or an insult? I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know. I'm not saying – I'm passing no judgment. I find it interesting too. Yeah, I, I, you could probably make a case either way. Well, I think it's interesting because she betrays him and then she feels so bad about it. Her death is like – you really feel it and what a horrible way to kill yourself uh, I find that really fascinating I mean like they're both super complex characters in a series that has been literally never known for the complexity of its characters and this is the only Bond film to my knowledge that has a little ambiguity in it you leave this movie going why did she do that exactly and why did she what really was she thinking too and it also has like subtle themes running throughout it in the shower scene when she's seen the man killed in the stairwell and he goes into the shower and they have that first tender moment where they both let their guard down and he kind of like licks her fingers metaphorically clean of the blood which you could say is like oh that's a little weird (laughs) and there's a story behind that too he originally licked all five fingers and you can see they do a CG blend it's really subtle where they cut him licking the rest of her fingers because they they tested it and they're like this is creepy (laughs) and then they found like two was the magic number and that that's loving two is a magic number it's very sweet (laughs) but when she's about to kill herself in the elevator shaft underwater she takes his hand and puts it to her mouth and it's her way of saying you're not guilty this was my fault and there's so many little things like that in this movie where it rises above to me it's got the perfect sense of heightened action with a little humor and dialogue isn't totally realistic but it's well crafted but at the same time it's got some substance to it that it's for my money the best Bond movie and also one of the best action movies I've seen Well, and what's interesting is I don't think that their romantic arc would work so well if we didn't see him treat a woman in the very first half of the movie as disposably as yeah. we're used to seeing and, him treat them. You and know? she's put in there for that reason, Solange, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. to like seduce a wife. Maybe not even, I couldn't even tell watching this closely like if they even get to consummate it or if they're just rolling around. They don't. In fact, he leaves because he's he's choosing the job over her. He, he orders uh, champagne for one for her and then goes on the mission and doesn't sleep with her. Exactly, and that makes it, I think, almost even colder when you cut to her later, see that she was tortured, left in a hammock, and he doesn't seem to care at all. he's got no empathy. He's a psychopath, and that's a new thing for Bond, too. I mean, he's always been... He's just never had depth before, so now his depth is scarier. It's darker because right. he doesn't he doesn't feel. It's yeah, it's creepy. I want to go back to the idea that there's some ambiguity into why Vesper does what she does. This to me feels like a negative in that this feels to me like the movie is setting up a, a franchise storyline that the next films don't quite I think nail. you're right. Yeah, I think they, that's a fault of Quantum of Solace for sure, and also the writer's strike that followed that movie around. Um, but if you do watch them back-to-back, they, Quantum's a lot better. And that movie grows on me. Does really? It? We talk about this, too, on our podcast, that I think it might be an Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, uh, people finding it better as the years go by. It's not great, and it's lacking a lot of humor and soul and stuff, but... It's better than than I remember when it came out. I have this Olga Kurilenko thing where every time she shows up in a movie, it's kind of like Frida Pinto showing up in a movie. I'm just like, oh, they cast you because you're pretty and you're a terrible actress. And I immediately think that they just don't care Uh about what's happening with the female part. I like Quantum of Solace because at the end, um, the finale appears to be set in a hotel made of explosives. 
Yeah, it, it really is. Fusion reactors. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's really But they're bringing Jesper Christensen back, who plays Mr. White for Spectre, so they're right. doing something with this storyline, which I'm glad to they're, hear. Yeah, they're trying to tie Quantum, which what everybody was thinking, oh, is Quantum Spectre, is it part of Spectre? Yeah, I, it should it? be. They sh- I hope it is, because they set it up to be that, you know? But they couldn't, there was a whole legal reason why they right. couldn't call it Spectre. Yeah, and now they can. And now it's now everything's back on the table. But I, I think Quantum is a better name for a modern-day Bond, for a conglomeration of evildoers than Spectre. Spectre. Yeah, Spectre that's a little is, on the nose. Yeah, uh, yeah. let's bring in Smirsh. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to talk about uh, uh, M a, a little bit. There's a little cute bit in, in this movie where uh, James Bond indicates that M is actually the first letter of her name. Uh, as the representative of the hardcore uh, Bond nerddom, uh, how was that taken? Do, have people begun trying to figure out what M's name her is? Her name is out. It's on a is piece of stationary prop from one of the movies. I can't remember what it is. It's Olivia something with an M but the original M in the book is named Miles Messervy and that's why his name is M oh. so it isn't as far as I know a name thing yeah oh that was uh, see this is why it's important to have a hardcore <laughs> nerd because for me I watched that and I was like this is the cutest little thing I bet there's somebody who's like figured this out I'm a concept nerd I'm not like a, a super fact nerd because if I was I feel like I'd remember her name but I don't remember <laughs> what it is. Uh, she's really great in this oh so good and her relationship with Bond is so interesting yeah yeah. Uh, the idea that she sees him just as the blunt weapon. Yes. And uh, he is proving himself to be something else. And she, th- that's the other thing that's a little vague about this movie is he breaks into her place and then he leaves her laptop cracked ajar so she can see that he's up to something just enough she'll, she'll go, I'm going to have plausible deniability. He's given that to me, but I'm going to let him do what he does. And then Vesper says, I'm going to leave my phone. I'm going to let him right. do what he does. And that's what ends up saving the day it brings great tragedy but those are interesting questions that they don't really spell out for you and um, the other thing too is uh, what was it she says sorry move on to something else I forget <laughs> I, again my retention of facts isn't as good as my love of theory <laughs> well yeah but I also like that this is early enough in the Bond M relationship where you sense she could cut him loose if yeah. she wanted to yeah and that he's not that important to the organization yet yeah yeah. And I think that's good because a lot of the Bond movies try to have that moment where it's like, well, they've turned against him again, or he's out of the organization, or he has to earn his way back in, or even the beginning of Skyfall, I like, like him trying to get back into shape enough to, uh-huh. to deserve to be Bond again. But this early on, you sense that, you know, he's almost like a racehorse. Like, she's invested a lot in it, but if she has to put him down, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I agreed, because she doesn't know him that well. And that's why I love so much of this movie is more than a reboot. It just it reboots the characters more than the story and it for the first time ever gives this character a foundation and so there are questions like I feel like this movie wants you to ask as where every other Bond movie doesn't want you to ask questions because the plots are horrible Skyfall's a mess yeah if you ask any question about the plot of Skyfall you've poked a hole in it this one wants you to say like why did he leave that thing ajar and why why is there's also this line that I caught for the first time recently when he's being tortured, the famous torture scene, and he just whispers it, and I don't know if it's in the script or he improvises it, but he just goes, the big picture, the big picture. Like, and he's just thinking, like, don't think about my balls, think about the big picture. <laughs> but it's not shouted, and it, I don't know, I just love the little nuances in this thing. That scene is actually really hard to watch, and I like how they, they direct it to where, right when you're about to break, when they hit him and he's screaming, and you cannot stand to see him in pain anymore, he makes a joke, like... To the right. To it's the right. It's so well-timed. It's so good. And he yeah. delivers it really well. Again, this is the kind of scene that it's hard to imagine another Bond mm-hmm. really pulling off in Couldn't. the same way, where he is honestly hurting, 
but he is also joking through it where he is not just doing like that calm cool reserve thing uh, but he is in a lot of fucking pain he's selling every bit of pain that he's in uh, but at the same time he's pushing that joke through it's so good and yeah, it's, it's a good joke too. he's not winking with that joke he as a character is using that joke to get him through the pain right. and to almost to get himself killed quicker so just to piss Lashif off so he can get himself killed. Now, what do you think about Lashif as a villain? Because on one hand, he just seems a little ordinary, yeah. except for the weeping blood thing and the fact that I don't know what they're doing to Mads Mikkelsen's face, but he is so shiny <laughs> throughout the whole movie. It makes him his creepy. hair too. I know. Yeah, it yeah. looks like they took a really handsome little boy and then like dipped him in wax but left him alive so he would just sort of melt underneath it and get old and weird and fat. I love him. I love him because he's not so out there. I even thought maybe. Like keep the asthma or keep the weeping blood. Don't give me both. You know that's a little too much. Uh, I love this is he's played just like he is in the book. He's in and out just like that. He's killed by Smirsh, and um, I love that he's not even in the end of the movie. That the real villain is a shadow organization, and uh, he's just not this crazy character. I thought that was a really successful part of the reboot. What did you I mean, speaking of not being at the end of the movie? Um, this is a really weirdly structured movie. Yeah, it is it's like odd, huh? it feels like a couple of movies strung together. That whole opening before they get to the book stuff feels like a totally different movie. Yeah. It takes a hard right turn, and then it leaves all the action behind for a very lengthy uh-huh. tension building uh, poker sequence, and then there's more action, and then there's a what feels like a totally disconnected epilogue in in Venice. A yeah. very long epilogue. I, I think that's why I had a hard problem with Casino all the first time I saw it is I didn't know what was going to happen I hadn't read the book yet and I just was like why Why isn't this over and the fact that it continued just long enough made me sort of restless with the movie I don't. I didn't get it until the second time around if, if this movie has a flaw for me it's that it goes on a little too long and you find it right around the time they're trying after he's been tortured and they're trying to show that they're in love and living together and it's it's something that they have to show the passage of time but you can't speed through it so it right. just feels a bit too long but it, it does feel like a trilogy condensed into one movie in a way, yeah. like what Peter Jackson should have done <laughs> with the Hobbit. Yeah, but it is weird because it, when that they, when they're after he's tortured and then they're on the villa, it almost feels like this is going to be maybe the end of the Bond movie where they're going to have like a, a wink at the camera mm-hmm. and then they're going to go in for a kiss and then it's going to cut to credits or whatever and then it just keeps going. But then I do love that finale in Venice and yeah. I do love where it goes uh, and and I do love the one eyed uh, creepo. Yeah. Uh, who gets the nail in his in his in his empty eye? He's the guy from uh, Inglorious Bastards that gets the bat to the head. In really, yes. wow. I know it doesn't look like him, does he? Wow. Yeah, Gettler is his character name. He has been he has been killed by some of our finest by by, by Eli Roth and yeah. Daniel Craig. In the book, he's haunting Vesper for a long time. So this goes on a long time in the book. They're going from hotel to hotel. And she, you don't know if she's imagining him or he's real because Bond never sees him. So she's just like freaking out and freaking out that this guy's after her. And uh, then she eventually just writes him a suicide note and takes sleeping pills. And that's how she dies in the book. There's no no final action this sequence. Is, this is, it's much better in the movie. I agree. It's yeah. way improved. I mean, her that him watching her drown is it's tough and Eva Green sells drowning is the other thing so good <laughs> and that makes it even tougher that his final line of butter is you know the job's done the bitch is dead yes because that hurts and you see how much it hurts him to say that you guys I'm feeling my chills all over <laughs> also I want to say the score I love the score because it's got a lot of John Barry influences and you don't hear the James Bond theme until the very end and that Vesper theme when she's dead and oh, love it love it 
get everybody go get a robe on, rent a hotel, <laughs> and watch this movie. You know, is it weird when you reboot James Bond and you try to make him a little more realistic? Is it weird in this modern era where um, we know what James Bond will be doing is taking people to Guantanamo uh, and waterboarding them? Is there like sort of a thing? Like, did, That's did, a good question. Did Bourne I... sort of cross that boundary for us that now we know that these guys are kind of bad guys? I think that's only a problem if you don't like this movie because I look at this movie and go, it's clearly not a problem because they've done it for me. Right. They, somehow I'm not thinking about any of that during this. And I think that's what's so good about this movie is you could poke holes in it as how it really fits into this context of the military today, but I don't think about that for a second. I just think, I hope they get together. Well, well, and there's a little bit of the real world in this in that you know M is so mad that there are headlines that he blew up an embassy. And what I like about some of the early action scenes here is that you know Bond doesn't just sort of shoot people indiscriminately like when he's when he's attacking the embassy in in the Uganda scenes he actually just starts blowing up other things so that he doesn't have to, yeah. have to kill people which almost seemed comical in a way like a, like a yeah. slapstick kind of thing right. for a while, which is weird too yeah but i like that you can see in an action scene that the hero thinking about what his next move is and then changing his mind. Yeah. You know, when he decides, like, in the Uganda sequence, just to shoot the guy and be like, all right, all right, all right, I'm out of this. <laughs> yes. He's like, and now this is where I save myself. Yeah. That's a real yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark moment where he's, uh, he sees the guy with the, with the with the sword and just shoots him. It's sort of that same thing. It's like, oh, fuck this. I'm just going to get this done. Uh, I kind of like that. I did too. I, did I mean, that too. really is what this Bond is. This Bond, you know, Indiana Jones was uh, the George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, uh, American version of James Bond. Yeah. And this version of Bond, at least in Casino Royale, feels like it's definitely closer to Indiana Jones than any of the previous Bonds. Yeah, he's a darker Indiana Jones. You can see his train of thought. It's like he's improvising like a true improviser where he's making moves and sort of noticing them as he's doing them. He fights from instinct, but it, somehow Daniel Craig is able to act that, that he doesn't telegraph any of it. When he's throwing away keys and cell phones, it's not right. like he's planned that. It's just this is what I'll do. That's great. Okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah, and I like that Martin Campbell doesn't do that thing where you know it became fashionable to go inside the hero's eyes and then watch them sort of zoom around and be oh, like, I God. see this thing, I see this thing, oh, right. and it pulls back, and he's like, and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I like that we have to watch that from a remove. Yeah. I think this movie in the next five to ten years will suffer a little bit from just kind of uh, douchey rich guy clothing, but otherwise I think it's going to age pretty well. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and Matt is going to have to defend why uh, this is a better Bond than Sean Connery, who everybody knows is the James Bond. Okay. All right, we're back. You have thrown down the – this is like the Bond fan gauntlet because it is it is like walking into a Star Trek convention and saying, I think Chris Pine is the Captain Kirk. Uh, I mean, I – I'm not quite. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, I agree. All, I agree. You, you need about five more Captain Kirks in there. For that to be. <laughs> okay, I agree. But uh, you know, this is a uh, Craig. I think is has become beloved. I think people have adopted him as their current Bond to the point that I think when he goes, there's going to be like a lot of people saying, "Who can possibly follow Daniel Craig?" It's true. However, if we're looking at the numbers at his at, of the three Bond films he's released, one of them is exceptional. One of them. I can't sandwich his quantum of solace. And then Skyfall I like, but it's not in the same category. But So he hasn't really had that great of a record with this. But Sean Connery maybe also has some, you know, we can argue the quality oh. of those films. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Sean Connery now. defined Bond to the point where even Ian Fleming kind of reacted to Sean Connery's Bond, right? I mean, he kind of... 
Well, initially he didn't want him. He didn't like him at all. And then he saw him, was impressed, and then wrote a Scottish heritage into the character in the books right before he died because he died when they were making Goldfinger. But he saw enough of Connery to go, I'm going to tailor this towards Connery. So, yeah, he ended up really liking it. So what is it that makes you think that Connery sucks so bad? I don't think that you want to go with no, uh, well, Daniel Craig. See, now I see what he does to you. <laughs> uh-huh. No, just wait till he starts mansplaining, and then he goes on a rant where you can't say anything. <laughs> uh, I love Connery, and I love the Connery bonds. So is this the point where I do this, where I make this case? This is it. You okay. get to make this case. I'm yeah, so I think nervous. you have to because okay. I mean, one of the things that I, that I want. You know, what, let's start with the Connery, and then I have my own hard questions. Okay, it was really, it would have been really easier for me to come in here with Goldfinger and say this: this is the quintessential James Bond. It's classic, but classic and tradition does not necessarily equal better. And I think when you ask yourself, are you reflexively saying Connery's the best Bond? A, because that's what it's always been, and B, you can still love him, but you, I don't think you can deny that Connery has tons of charisma. I think you can make a case that Daniel Craig has just as much or at least a lot of charisma, but is way better of an actor and has brought a nuance to this thing. And since this whole thing revolves around one man, I want to believe that this could really happen. And I love watching those Connery movies. And so if you take all 24 Bond movies pretty soon and boil it down to one movie, how can it be this one that came out in 2006? Because it, it restarts the franchise in a way that tells us how this guy was made. We never learned that before. We never knew why he was the way he was. Because he didn't do anything that made you go, how did that happen? He's just a guy in the 60s killing people and you wanted to be him. <laughs> but this guy had his heart broken and it shaped who he was and now set the course for what they haven't followed up well on for his trajectory. What else was I going to say about this? Okay, so this movie... <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Relax, relax. It's all right, oh it's all right. Okay, first of all, just search your hearts. I mean, I think you'll find the answer there. Like, I should just be able to walk away with that. There's a scene in this movie where M calls James Bond and says, I thought you were going to deposit that money. And Vesper has gone to deposit it at the bank in Venice. And he goes, that's funny, I thought I had. And the guy from the treasury's there in M's office. And it's a way for her to casually say, I know you haven't, and I can't get in trouble, but this is one last way for me to help you out. And it's a, it's a tip-off. Not you're, It's not you're in trouble, it's a tip-off that Vesper is screwing you. And they don't telegraph that, and I've never seen that kind of thing in a Bond movie before. I think that this is the best made movie of all the Bond movies. And and I think it's so well made that I would put it up there, I'm sorry, with Raiders of the Lost Ark and Die Hard as one of the, my three favorite action movies ever made. I mean, what I like about the scene that you're talking about right now is it just looks at Daniel Craig's face and you see his eyes go cold underneath. Yeah. And you see that shift take place. And you wouldn't get that with Connery. You wouldn't, but in in the defense of the Connery films, I don't know if Casino Royale has a visual touchstone moment like the Connery films have. There's no girl dipped in gold. There's no laser heading towards But is that a prerequisite? Is that Does that have to be there, or are you just used to it? That's what I'm asking. Well, I'm thinking that when I think of Bond, I also think of that. I think of just a, a touch more looniness than exists in this world. I mean, is this Bond almost too realistic? 
No, I think it's the perfect amount because there are certain things in here. Like in the beginning, it's a subtle thing. When the terrorist is meeting with Lashif, he get, or and he gives Mr. White a bottled Coke. And he sits down and he pops the Coke bottle off with his thumb. <laughs> and there's no human way you could possibly do that. I come to Oklahoma. <laughs> no. Uh, and the, the um, dialogue between Vesper and Bond on the train. No human in this world, no two humans would ever have a conversation that well-crafted and, and witty. But I, you, you're not – it's Bond dialogue. It works for me. It's really well-crafted Bond dialogue. And you're right. It doesn't have the girl drip, dipped in gold, but it has a parkour sequence and two men jumping from cranes with no CG except to brush out wires and stuff. Physical stunts in a way the movies have never done before. Are you coming at this in the way that Batman fans come at The Dark Knight, which is that I like this one because it takes it real serious as opposed to the Adam West stuff, which didn't take it serious? My favorite of Batman is the Adam West stuff. Uh, I think that this does take it seriously, but it does it in a way that's m more convincing than Batman was. I always knew I was watching a comic book movie. I, even when I see Bruce Wayne played by Christian Bale, it still feels like a, uh, a more realistic, realistic version of a cartoon character. I feel Daniel Craig's character is a man. And it's the first time I've ever been emotionally invested in a Bond movie before. And I think that that's what's missing from all of the other movies. Even Honor Majesty's Secret Service, I don't think George Lazenby's acting chops are up to the task to do that. And I've never felt like, I think this movie's a love story more right. than anything else. And I've never seen that really successfully done in a Bond movie before. It's interesting because I think the reason why uh, Secret Service got rediscovered is because there's an emotional heft to it that yeah. even though it doesn't quite work, fans have sort of discovered, oh, there's something else going on here beyond just gadgets and, 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 and doomsday devices. Right. In, in closing, I don't think you can have a successful movie without feeling like at least your protagonist is a human and this is the only bond I've ever felt that really feels human that being said he's a protagonist and this is also the first bond that's not a hero so it is realistic in the sense that this guy seems like a three dimensional character but it still has enough heightened action moments and humor to feel like a good action movie and to me it's the perfect mix and it's what all of the bonds I think need and don't have you know, on that note, I think some of my favorite moments in this film are when you get to see Bond's sort of loony sense of humor. Like when he picks up Solange in <clears throat> in her um, yeah. husband's car. And he's like, let's go to my place. And then he just takes a loop around the valet stand and drops yeah. his car back off. I mean, that's the sort of joke a Bond would tell. Like, right. this Bond doesn't make dumb quips, really. No. And when he does that, I feel like we're all like Solange going, you joker, I'll go to your room with you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's when I was like, yeah, I'd go to his hotel room with him. See, I'm really torn right now because I like Casino Royale and I'm not, this. I'm going to come from a really weird position right here. I'm not really a Bond guy necessarily. I've seen a bunch of the Bonds. I've never had an emotional attachment to them. Um, I've appreciated them aesthetically, maybe more than I've appreciated them as films. Um, and so starting with Casino Royale, I've enjoyed these films as films. I've been able to go to the theater and enjoy them. Um, I know a lot of Bond fans have problems with Skyfall. I enjoyed Skyfall. It's, got, it's a mess, but I think it powers through mm -hmm. just on sheer chutzpah. Yes, yeah. you know? um, Actually, fun fact, by the way, OPI has a series of James Bond nail polishes, and the two best colors are Skyfall and uh, Goldfinger, obviously Goldfinger. <sighs> but Skyfall is a beautiful dark red. I'm just saying, James this, Bond really? guys who want to get your girlfriend <laughs> a present to get into James Bond, I wear those nail polishes all the time. Well, you know, so I'm on it. as a guy who's not super into James Bond, I really enjoyed these films the most. But 
I feel like if we had had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, I might have a different I thought because it was after watching Kingsman that I said to myself, you know, that's James Bond, though. That's I appreciate what they're doing now, but this doesn't feel like Bond in the way that aesthetically I understand Bond to be. But the way you understand it, because truthfully it is James Bond because it's the closest to Fleming any movie has ever come. So you're you're used to a cinematic version, and I know this is a movie podcast. <laughs> but that's what I, I urge the voters to ask is are you – saying that it has to be a classic Bond because that's just been the way it is? Or is it because you truly think it's better? And if you really objectively stand back, I miss the Ken Adam production design. I think that's one of the best elements of James Bond by far. That and John Barry. I miss those more than anything. And and I think that that's a strong case to why you'd say Goldfinger or something it should be in there. But if you really say, are they better movies... I think you have to be truthful with yourself and See, say no. Yeah, I almost wonder if I'm coming at this from like a, a third perspective, which is that I just think Casino Royale is one of the best directed action movies I've seen yeah. in forever. You know, you see the airplane chase sequence in this, and then you wonder how on earth did people think the one in Fast Six was that great? You know, with the impossibly long air oh, like runway, like this film is it directs fight sequences in the way I wish film sequences would direct them and so I want to make sure I take a breath and I'm just not putting Casino Royale in like using up my Bond card on this one just because I think it's what an action movie should be regardless of Bond status but this is your only Bond movie. You've agreed. Well, so far, well, we haven't fully agreed. I mean, I think if we really fully agreed, we'd have to do this as a versus. We'd have to put like oh. Goldfinger versus oh, Casino God, Royale. That would have been interesting. That's what we'd yeah. have to have done. I think we fucked it up uh, <laughs> in a pretty <laughs> profound way. Uh, so, well, I have to say, like, as we I, were talking about it, I was like, man, we really should have done Goldfinger versus Casino Royale. That's like that yeah, would have been like well, tough. we could do a two parter. Um, I I thought about that too because I. I was like, when, when you guys asked me to do this, well, my favorite movie is Casino Royale. But then thinking I have to defend this as one of the great films to go in a cinema canon, I think I have an uphill battle. But then when I really thought about it, I think it deserves to be in there. And that's what I'm asking people to step back and really watch this movie again and, and ask yourself in your hearts. Well, it seems clear to me that a Bond movie deserves to be in the canon. Yes. Period. I yeah. mean, the Bond films have shaped action movies over the last 50 years, 100%. There's not even a question to me that a Bond film deserves to be in the canon. Is it this Bond film? Yes. That is the question. Yes, it is. I, I didn't know it was as simple as me answering. It is. <laughs> okay. Yes. What did you think of Kingsman? I didn't see it. Really? I seen it. No, I just I haven't gotten time. I've been so busy. I'm really curious yeah. what you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm curious to see it. I mean, to me, Kingsman is what the Pierce Brosnan bonds almost got wrong as well. It's, a, it's just a magnification of it. I think there's too many gadgets in Kingsman. That's my least favorite part of it. I guess, but I think they're having a lot of fun with the gadgets. And I really feel like, I mean, I when, Casino Royale, when Casino Royale came out, I was kind of ready for like a serious thing. And now in 2015, I'm pretty excited about like some silliness. I'm really kind of ready to get dumb again. I think yeah. they're heading that way. I mean, I mean Spectre definitely do. is, there seems like it's going to be a little bit broader than, yeah. certainly than, yeah. than Casino Royale. I'm not ready to give up on this type of Bond film. I think we've had so much of that that I would love a healthy mix, but I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I like that the Bond films have always just stayed true to being beautiful, though, because I don't want a full-on Jason Bourne Bond. Yeah, I would cry. Yeah. If Greengrass ever got his yeah. hands on Bond, I'd be really upset. Do you know the weirdest thing about watching Casino Royale? Uh, and this is really a symptom of my immense elitism and uh, my own uh, disdain for the American people, is that I was really impressed that at no point did anybody have to stop and explain why that building was sinking in Venice. <laughs> 
I some thought about passerby. Some, I, yeah, well, Zutalo. The canals that have been that yeah. have been claiming Venice. I, it was one of these things. I was like, you know what? This movie just assumes that we all a hundred percent understand why this building is sinking. It does not take a moment. And, I, and that sounds like a dumb thing, but I watched it. I was like, I bet a lot of other movies would have taken no, a beat to you know. I, I think this is one of the smartest mainstream movies ever made because it's not it's not an art film and it's not a super thinker, you know. But it's got some elements and levels to it that you don't normally get in a, just a well-made action Yeah, and movie. It, you're right. It is those motivations. It is these moti- the, It's there, but the movie is not having anybody stand up and say, this is why I'm doing this yeah. right now. And that really is interesting. And I left the first time seeing, kind of going, why did she do that? And I was thinking about it on the way home and missing her and them together <laughs> and us, the three of us. <sighs> and then you made yourself a Vesper Martini. I did. Uh, so now this is the part of the show, I think, where we turn it over to the listeners and they make the final decision. The he's going to lose, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to go down. I'm willing, I'm willing to go on the right side of history. <laughs> All right, so this is the part we uh, turn it over to the listeners and they decide whether or not this movie belongs in the canon. This is a tough choice because we have decided uh, when we sat down to record this podcast and not in advance that <laughs> arbitrarily. we were... Arbitrarily. <laughs> this is actually how we do all of our verses. People complain. Like we did uh, E.T. versus Close Encounters and yeah. people were like, how can you decide that Close Encounters doesn't make it because E.T. won? That's so arbitrary. I'm like, I know. It's not the joy of it. It's this arbitrary thing where we just get to argue about it. Um, so, you know, the decision was made that this is going to be the only bond in the canon um, if you vote yes. So it's up to you guys now. Uh, Matt obviously has decided that this is the one that belongs. Uh, Amy, I think. I am going back and forth on it. No need. <laughs> no need. Just jump on board. Be on the right side of history. You know, here's the thing. I think this is the best made Bond film. I really do. I really think this has the best action. I really think it has the best lines. I really do love Daniel Craig. I want to support a blonde Bond. I like this revisionist take on it. I'm worried that, you know, if this is the only Bond that you could pull out, the only Bond you could watch, would you know what Bond is and what Bond could become? You more than anything, because it, <laughs> it's the only one that goes far enough to tell you what's really happening with this man. And I feel like this is a case in court where I have to lay out as a, as a defense attorney or a prosecution attorney saying like beyond a shadow of a doubt all you have to know is it the best Bond movie it is now vote for it and and set this man free that is such a compelling argument because if we're going to let one Bond in it should be the best Bond it should be the right. one that is the one that's the best to watch and it's not it's fault but at the but same time it's not the one that has the iconic aesthetics that I associate with Bond but, he's gonna, you're going to have to throw a blow a gasket over here but isn't it saying even more that you can say that this is the best Bond and it's trumping that stuff that makes it even stronger Devin, Amy? It's tough. I'm very close to siding with then you. Then do it. But a bot yeah! should have a bad guy who sets up a shark tank that has to bite Why? a piranha. Why? That's not that's how it started. No, that's what your parents tell you a Bond is. And you can still have that. And those are great Bond movies. But that is not quintessentially what the story of James Bond Wait, is. Wait, is this an opportunity for me to rebel against my parents? Yes. I, then I vote yes. This belongs yes. in the canon. yes. You're leaving me to vote no You're now. You, I, I am. Like I am. We know. can all agree. We no, can have I'm, a quorum. Okay, but you know, okay, there is a flaw with Casino Royale. What? The Chris Cornell song is awful. Uh, okay. All right. I understand that's a matter of taste completely. 
You're I, a Chris I Cornell see. fan? No, I'm not otherwise. I, I happen to like this song, but I'm not a Chris Cornell fan it's a bad. It's a bad song. Okay, well, here's why I like Skyfall's it. Skyfall's a really good song. Yes, though. I will make the defense of this song and just very briefly is that they use it so well, the theme throughout the movie, that that's why I love the song because it ties me into the whole movie. And I think the new Bond movies lack that a lot. You only get Skyfall motif in there once in the movie because they always do the songs late. Right. This one worked with the composer and it's partially a David Arnold composition, so it's not all Chris Cornell. All right. Go ahead. I think I'm just going to have to go no. I, and I, here's my final reason on why I would go no on Casino Royale being the Bond in the canon, which is I think you could name this character anything else besides James Bond, and I would like this movie just as much. Let me think about that. Well. It's almost a compliment to the movie, which is why I can't put it in the canon. Right. You're saying that it transcends the Bond thing itself in such a way that it is not even necessarily a Bond. Movie. Exactly. I love this movie for reasons that have almost nothing I, to I do disagree. with it His, being a James Bond. He movie. still possesses, while adding a new level of like brute thuggishness, he still possesses a sophistication in his his liquor, his women, his tastes. He does his drink car. rum. He drinks rum. He, well, uh, the martini isn't even the most commonly uh, imbibed drink in the movies. Um, he he has an Aston Martin. <laughs> he gets in a dinner jacket. He plays cards. Granted, it's Texas Hold'em, and I know they, that that I've never loved that they didn't just stay with Baccarat. Plus, if you would like, the other the other flaw of this movie is Mathis's exposition in explaining how the card game works. It has to happen, though. There's yeah, no way around exactly. it. Exactly. But I'm gonna I'm gonna actually undercut that entire argument. Okay. Uh, he uses a Sony Ericsson phone. Therefore, he's Bond? He's not Bond. There's oh. no way that James Bond would use a Sony Ericsson Oh, I phone. think that makes him more Bond because it's so... Bond is notorious for product placement. <laughs> that from the beginning... No, I know that, but... You're obviously in the pocket at this point. What There's terrible nothing product with Oh, I hate it. But but if it is so quintessentially Bond to have products throughout every but movie. But he would have a better phone than that. Yeah, agreed. He would have such a better phone than that. Yeah. yeah. All right, so Amy goes no. I'm going to go no just because I think you could call this character, you know, Bob Pokerface, and I would love him just as much. That's a terrible name. This is why you do not make movies. That's a terrible name for a movie character. It's uh, because I'm looking at this table, and the first thing I see is Nerd Poker scrawled on here, another podcast in this network. I mean, Matt obviously goes yes because he brought it as, a, as, as his nomination. I'm going to go with a, a reluctant yes because... It is the Bond movie I like the best, but I almost feel like I shouldn't even get a vote because I'm not a Bond guy. So You absolutely do, because it's also made to bring everyone in for the first time. And I am excited about Spectre. I'm excited about these films now in a way that in the Brosnan era I was not yes. excited, where I kind of caught them at home because I just did not give a shit about those movies at all. They were too much. They were too goofy. They were too silly. Yeah. Another reason to put it in the canon is it's it's essentially the first Bond story, and it's built off the first Bond book, and it's the first time... It gets to now say this is how we're going to do it, even though that's the way you're used to it. Sorry, I understand. I, I know. I just, I just can't help it. I feel like just Goldfinger <laughs> has pussy galore. It has odd job. It has the laser crotch. It, it has everything that to me is Bond. All right. I, uh, but this kills me on the inside because I wish every movie was more like Casino Royale. Well, so now it's the tough decisions up with the listeners. So you guys have to go to wolfpop.com, uh, go to the forum, scroll down, find the canon. There will be an official voting thread for you guys to weigh in. Um, this is, if you vote yes, this will be the only bond we put in. If Wait, but vote. if they vote no, you're going to put another bond movie? Well, we, Maybe. Well, you're shooting it in there the has face. To, there, <laughs> <laughs> well, there has to be a bond in the canon. Does there? 
Yeah, I feel like there has to be a bond in the canon. Wait a minute. I didn't realize that was a factor. That Then that's, it's done for. <laughs> but it is the best movie. I think you guys should do eras. Well, this is clearly the only <laughs> Daniel Craig. I will Craig. fight for my baby. Uh, uh, no, I understand. No, I mean, that's the thing is that well. hard choices have to be made. I mean, Sometimes they, you have to shoot the parkour player. Because if, 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 if this is the only bond we're ever going to give them an opportunity to vote on, they're going to vote yes to get a bond in. Right. No matter what. We could be like bringing them, you It's know, unfair either way. It's, it's, that's the beauty of it. This is this has got to hurt. If it doesn't hurt, it's not fun. This is actually a BDSM podcast, oh it turns out. Oh, God. I didn't realize Do you really want to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey again? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the thing is that if we tell them that if they vote uh, 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 no, then it's just either way. This okay. Is, if that's the case, then will you allow me just 60 seconds to plead one yeah, more let's, time let's to do these it. people? Let's do it. This, 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 got, this got heated at the end. We okay. really we saved it all for the finale. <laughs> Be on the right side of history in 40 years in, when there's 20 more, 30 more years of bonds that are not like the Connery bonds. It will be a balanced and everyone will meet in a field waving flags and agree that Casino Royale is the best made of all the Bond films before and after. And everyone will celebrate every Bond film for its individual merits, but realize that it all coalesced halfway through the series, but telling the first story about a real man who's a flawed character and created what we will now know as the most emblematic James Bond the history of mankind has ever known. God bless you, America. Thank you. God save the Queen. God save the Queen. <laughs> Shit, well, I blew it right there. <laughs> I had it until that moment. <laughs> well, so that's a, it's it's all up to you guys now. So uh, best of luck making your decision. This is a, I, honestly this is so hard. This is, and but again I think making it hard is the whole point. Yeah, exactly. it's fun. It's fun. All right, I'll uh, fight for it. I love it. Uh, and uh, Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Where can everybody find you on the internet? Oh boy, uh, I have this podcast called I Was There Too, which you can find in the usual places, Super Ego. And then if you're really interested in James Bonding, that's uh, another podcast that Matt Myra and I have. And uh, Matt, Matt Gorley on Twitter, G-O-U-R-L-E-Y. Uh, Amy, where can they find you on the interwebs? You can find me at LAWeekly.com and you can also find me on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson. And you can find me at DevinCF on Twitter and every single goddamn day at BadassDigest.com. Next week on The Canon, we're going to be doing something really exciting. We're going to have our first live show. Uh, guest Kumail Nanjiani of Silicon Valley and the Indoor Kids will be joining us. And we're going to be arguing Alien versus Aliens. Only one of these movies can make it into The Canon. And uh, when you're listening to this, the uh, live show will have already happened. Uh, but we're really excited about it. And we're really hoping that it makes for excellent listening. So tune in again next week for Alien versus Aliens. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Hey, Queeros, it's me, Cami Esposito, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Query. You can sit in on hour-long conversations between me, Cameron Esposito, and some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ family. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. Plus, it is fun. We have had some incredible guests. Uh... 
Emmy winner Lena Waithe? Yes, definitely. Congressman Mark Takano? You bet. L Word creator Eileen Shaken? Yes. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis? We definitely have. We've got celebs. People like Trixie Mattel, Evan Rachel Wood, Tegan and Sarah, the band, and the people separately on two different episodes. We also have activists and change makers in our community. I think it's a one-of-a-kind show full of chats you have never heard before. It's identity, it's community, it's query. You can find query every Monday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.